Today we're going to be back in the book of Luke. So please turn there with me, Luke 14. The lectionary does kind of a funny thing. We're starting in verse 1. And then we skip to verse 7 and read through 14. So we're going to be in Luke 14, 1, and then 7 through 14. We'll talk a little bit about why that is and what's going on there. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Or one of them. We get so much advice from people. What is the best piece that sticks out in your mind? One of the ways that we make good choices in our lives is often through the wisdom of others. I'm so grateful for people who have poured into my life even when I didn't want it or think that I needed it. One of the most valuable pieces of advice that my husband Mark ever received was to become a math professor. He was headed down a different road that wasn't panning out, and a friend's mom gave him counsel that she was quite right about. He was actually considering going into the ministry, and she said, and I think this is kind of verbatim as we talked about it, Mark Bates, anybody can be a pastor. I know the irony, right? But very few people can teach math. God has given you a gift, and you should use it. We always bless our friend Helen for Mark's path. Now, there are lots of opinions out there for what people think that we should do. And sometimes it's hard to figure out what voice we should listen to or how we should proceed. It seems to me that the best advice comes from those who truly know us, like parents and coaches and teachers and mentors and pastors, those who understand us and those who understand life. Because they're further along than we are. Those who have our best at heart. In addition, it seems to me that the best advice has an element in it where the hearer really stops to think about what is being said because it's valuable. Good advice should show us new ways of living life that we haven't thought of before, a new way to go. It should make us better people in the process while still affirming who we are. Of course, if we're at the point where we're already asking for counsel, where our minds are already open, we're halfway there, aren't we? In the scripture that we read today, Jesus is giving advice. It's a bit unusual because he is a teacher, but here he is offering direction on how to be a good guest. And he's talking to people who don't like him. But what he's saying is very valuable and rich. Sometimes the advice we receive also has a deeper meaning than what is actually being said. An underlying subtext that the giver wants us to understand. More things for us to think about than just the decision at hand. Our our friend Helen's deeper idea was that Mark was overlooking a key component in his life that he could expound upon, he was discounting something valuable that he had, and she wanted him to think about that. That's what Jesus is doing here. While giving guidance on how to be a superb guest and host, he's really showing his audience something deeper and more profound, like how to treat one another, because that has implications for how we live. Jesus always taught in parables, And in ways that had profound meanings and messages. 
I think sometimes he did that because he wanted people who were listening to him to have discernment and be people of, of depth. People who were really seeking him and not just a quick fix to their problems. He also did it, I think, because he knew that these stories would live on and on and would yield an infinite number of applications for all who came later. But this kind of teaching that he did sometimes had a contrary effect on those who were against him. It made them increasingly frustrated. So let's read the helpful guidance Jesus gives on how we should act when we're out and about with one another. Luke 14, starting with verse 1. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. Now, verse 7. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humbled themselves will be exalted. He also said to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, in case they may invite you in return, and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you act for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Let us pray. Jesus, you are our Lord, and we love reading your words. And we thank you that you are here with us, God, to show us what you mean for us today in this season where we sit. Amen. There are seven times Luke records Jesus healing on the Sabbath. We studied one of them last week. The passage that we just read, which is only found in Luke, is another one. The lectionary has us skip over that part of the story where Jesus heals a man from dropsy. But it is in the background of what is happening Last week, we saw how Jesus interpreted the principle of rest differently than the Jewish leaders. This week, he again emphasizes thinking about other people, this time over social norms. Before the healing, Jesus asked the assembled party if it was lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not. He's pushing them to take a stand. He wants them to engage with him. They will not do that. They're silent. So he brings this man with dropsy to full health. And then he says to the leaders, which one of you, if you have a child or an oxen who falls in a well, is not going to rescue them, even if it's on the Sabbath? Again, they will not answer the question. It's too bad they won't engage with him, except to bait him and argue him. They do not want to be vulnerable with him. So Jesus has just done this unlawful thing in the house of a prominent leader. 
and still he stays for dinner. And since they won't speak, he rolls on. Like this is the most natural thing in the world for him now to instruct them on etiquette. He sees something in them that he wants to help them be aware of. So he uses it as a teachable moment. His first bit of guidance I want to point out is not something that he actually says, but is something that he's modeling here. The best advice comes from those who are actively pursuing what they are saying, so it fits. It is this. Go where you are invited. Verse 1 tells us that the Pharisees are watching him closely. They had invited him to this home, although we're not sure why. The sick man may have been planted by them to see what Jesus would do on this day of rest. But Jesus is in enemy territory, and he knows it. Because he knows what's on our heart and mind more than even we do. He knows they are wary of him. He knows that they are hoping that he's going to make a mistake that they can use against him. So then why go? A study out of Harvard last year tells us that individuals in powerful positions are the worst at taking advice. Giving them advice actually has the opposite effect of being helpful. It makes them feel competitive to the person who is offering it. And then that inflates their confidence and leads them to dismiss what is being said. I found this to be so interesting and that it fits so well with what we know to be true about this group of leaders. Jesus knows this and still he's here. Did he go maybe so that they might stop and consider one person who was there might stop and consider what he was saying? If 99 sheep are safe and one wanders off, the Lord will go after the one. At Sodom and Gomorrah, God showed what length he would go to not destroy if he could just find one righteous person. Maybe he wanted to influence them as long as he could and keep telling them the truth. We know at the end, some Pharisees, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, buried him. So it worked. He needs to keep going to those who don't believe because there's hope that one might turn to him in repentance and follow him. Because his love for those who hate him is the same as for those who love him. Jesus loves everyone who hates him as much as those who love him. So Jesus goes to the place where his enemies are looking for ways to find fault with him. There might be a chance that he could be heard. He's planting seeds. Some might take root. He's been invited, and so he goes. And no matter what their motivation is, he is going for God's purposes. He is going with God's motivation because there is eternity at stake. What do you do when someone you don't like or trust invites you over? What do you do when you're walking into a place where you really aren't that wanted? Maybe a divorce situation or a party with a former work colleague. Maybe where a friend will be present where the friendship has gone badly. Or a family gathering where there's heavy or lingering estrangement. Or a home where God is not honored at all. Relationships can get messy and awkward and bad sometimes. 
But we need to be mature and godly people. We need to rise above those things. I understand we have to be wise about our choices and that there are toxic people. I understand that. But there are places and situations where the Lord leads us to go. Where he prepares a table for us with our foes. Did we not just sing that? There are places where the Lord needs us to bring integrity and honesty and love and joy. There are places where we might not want to go, but the Lord needs us to go. Because the people there need to know that the Lord loves them. That we're not going to let these petty things that have happened on earth dictate where we go and where we don't go. When we're invited, we need to pray about whether or not the Lord wants us to go. And if he does, we need to remember that he is there. He's already there. And if we don't go, then whatever seeds he wants us to sow can't be sown. So go where you're invited. The second bit of advice is to be humble, not pretentious. You see, while they have been watching him, Jesus has also been watching them. And he has seen how the guests try to pick out the best places to sit. So he addresses the crowd as a whole regarding their social ambition. The seating arrangement was probably shaped in a U, and the host was at the base. They would have been reclining at a low table, and the most prestigious cushions would have been right by the host. You know, the fluffy ones and the cushy ones. Honored guests would have arrived last, so that everyone would see them taking the coveted seats. Jesus' advice is very good here. If you take a higher seat than you actually can attain to, you will most certainly be asked to move. It's much better to take the lower seat because then there's the possibility that you might be asked to move closer to the host. Because there's so much shame and honor at stake in this context, one has to be careful not to overreach too much or they will lose face. If you choose well, you might be honored, which is most desired. It is important to be close and to look like you are close to the one who is hosting the party. Jesus is advocating that it's better to have the host ask a guest to move to a better spot because self-promotion is presumptuous and rude. There's no real esteem, self or otherwise, in constantly putting oneself forward. It's difficult not to be wanted. It's hard not to be chosen. But to push oneself to the forefront and then get demoted is even more painful. There's a lot here that makes sense to us, even if our culture is different. We all understand wanting the best seat or the place next to the one everyone thinks is the coolest or in charge. Most of us have probably sneaked up to get a better seat at a game or a theater, even if we didn't belong there. Maybe we've even cheered inwardly when someone got caught doing it and was told to leave. I've done that. (laughs) Many of us have tried to get close to people who we think are better than us so that we might curry favor. But our status in in our small community is not at stake like it is for these people. To be humiliated at a dinner party in such a small context of your peers could mean difficulty, if not social death. But why do we want something better 
than what we have been given. I think this is a really complex issue, but it has something to do with recognition and wanting to be important. For whatever reason, there are situations where we find ourselves that it is crucial that others view us as more than we think we are. Somehow we see ourselves in certain contexts as needing to be better. And so we advance ourselves up without being asked. Regardless of whether we are insecure or in awe of ourselves, Jesus tells us to stop it. Verse 11 says, everyone who exalts themselves will be humbled. He's saying recognition will elude those who demand it. Those who insist are often the ones who become most disappointed in the end. Jesus isn't just giving etiquette advice. He's talking about the spiritual impact on our souls. I think just when a crowd thinks that he's talking about birds or flowers or party manners, he zeroes in on the important spiritual lesson. There's something to be said here before we move before we move on from this piece. I think that one of the underlying messages that Jesus is not saying, but I think is implied is this. Don't choose the lowest place just to act humble so people will notice you and bring you up. This is the same pride, but it's disguised in a different way and it might be a little bit evil. It's wrong to have false humility so that you can manipulate others. To promote you. Don't work the system. The third bit of advice is this. Look beyond your social set. Jesus switches his gaze now from the crowd to the one who had invited him. Remember, as the people have been fighting and jockeying for a position in a subtle way, the host has been part of it and is a huge part of the problem. Who chooses the seating arrangements? The host who perpetuates the social order in his home of who is in and who is out. To one, the host says, give up your seat. To the other one, he says, friend, please move up. While Jesus has been talking to the crowd, the host is included in the lesson. But now the host is the subject. Again, I just want to say how much Jesus doesn't care about social mores. Not only does he spurn the shame by not caring where he sits. Not only does he not care because he'll go to anyone's house who invites him, including sinners and tax collectors. But to go to a person of great influence in the community and in the synagogue and instruct them on whom they should invite to their homes. That is bold. I know he's God, but in this context, they don't see him that way. Jesus' words are a bit different when they're pre- than, are, when, than what is presented here. In the original language, it reads, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, don't always, only invite your friends and your brothers and your relatives. Of course, spend time with people you love. Of course, spend time with those who know you and you want to be with. But don't fall into a pattern where you only spend time with certain people whom you love and who love you. Open up your life, open up your home to include others. In this case, Jesus said, include those who cannot repay you. That is true hospitality. We're socialized to invite those who are most important to us, either relationally or for status. And Jesus is telling us to have that motivation is not kingdom behavior. There are many who don't have a place to go 
And so do we consider inviting them? If we only stay with those who are like us or a bit higher, we become insular and closed off to where God may be wanting to use us. Be like Jesus who came down from heaven to invite all who would come to the true feast. You see, he had a right to teach about this. Although that truth is lost on his audience because he had the best of everything, but came down to love those whom he created. If Jesus being God can do this, it means that we can and must as well. One commentator I read said this, Jesus deserved the highest seat, but he took the lowest seat and then was exalted to the highest. So we should listen to him. There's another underlying message here. That is reminiscent of Jesus' key teaching on how the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Implying that those who have God's special status now are going to be last if they don't make room for others. One of Jesus' main purposes was to open the door for whosoever would come. But there's a larger end time teaching here that the Pharisees need to listen to. In this parable, God is the true host. He is the one who will decide who gets to come to his home and who is left out. Those who didn't make room for the least will be judged for that. Those who invite the poor and alone will have a seat at the resurrection feast. In the end, the real issue here is not, of course, what it appears. Jesus isn't just talking about having a meal with those who don't like him or you. He's not just talking about where you sit at a party and inviting the poor to your home. Those are all good to do, and those are tangible expressions of how Jesus is teaching us to be in the world. But the underlying message is to conduct yourself with a loving heart, no matter where you find yourself. Choose to go where you aren't wanted, so the kingdom of God can be advanced. Let others have the glory while you sit at the lowest place because you know you live under a different reality. Invite those whom the world does not honor to be part of your life, knowing it is where Jesus would be today if he were here. You see, our motivation is what Jesus is calling out here. He wants us to live in a way that God is honored above more than ourselves. He wants us to love like he does. There's nothing in this world that matters more than goodness extended to those around us and living in an authentic posture of holiness because that is how God is exalted in our lives. There's no comparison to him and we are called to live in such a way that we put aside our own self-promotion so that he might be lifted up, that we live with humility and generosity of spirit, remembering that our actions reveal our character. So this morning, how will we listen to the advice of Jesus? Let us pray.